Hello, hello, hello. This is Crystal Martinez Acosta, your host of Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Texas, a board certified counselor, and a certified clinical trauma professional who's been in practice for over a decade. And I am here with five tips to set boundaries as a therapist in either a nonprofit setting, a group practice setting, or even in private practice. So let's get to it. If you haven't already, please follow me on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist and on TikTok at Through the Eyes of a Therapist. If you are enjoying the content from the previous five seasons, also please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Have you ever heard the saying, empathy without boundaries is self-destruction? Well, we know that as therapists, we are taught to practice lots and lots of empathy and we operate from a place of empathy and sympathy and compassion for our clients, right? So if we don't put boundaries in place, then we are on a path to self-destruction. We will burn out and burn out hard. So how can we implement boundaries to sustain us, maintain us, and give us longevity in our careers? That's what we're gonna talk about today on Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Now, I have worked in many settings in my career. I have worked in a juvenile probation setting. I've worked in a inpatient hospital setting. I've also worked in a shelter setting, in a nonprofit outpatient community health center setting. I've also worked in a group private practice setting. And now I'm working in a, well, solo private practice setting and expanding that solo private practice. So in all of these settings, I would say throughout my over decade long career, I can honestly say that I have probably burned out at least twice, almost three times in my entire career. And I would say that my career has been somewhat short, even though I'm kind of a seasoned therapist. Burnout can happen in any of these settings, and I really think that it has a lot to do with lack of boundaries in a lot of areas of either your personal life or work life. And let's talk about these areas. So number one, for sure, I truly believe that boundaries really need to be present in caseload management. No matter where you're working, if you're going to be interfacing and working with clients or patients face-to-face on the day-to-day, you definitely need to get a handle on how many people you're going to be seeing per day. And even if you are going to be seeing only one or two or three people per day, how long are you going to be seeing them per day? And what does that work include? So for example, when I was in a JPD setting, which is juvenile probation setting, I only had a caseload of maybe five or six clients per week. However, the caseload and workload of that caseload was so large that I had to interface with those clients at least 
two or three times a week, making that at least 30 hours of client face-to-face work per week, plus all of the administrative work that went along with it. So really getting a handle and a realistic view of what your caseload is going to look like when you are working with populations. So this starts from the interview, right? Setting boundaries from the get-go. If you are already working at an agency, And you are kind of in the middle of the ride, right? And you're realizing, man, I'm starting to get tired. I'm starting to burn out. I probably need to set boundaries around my caseload. I think there are a couple of things that you can do to probably manage this situation. And here's the first tip. So number one, really look at your caseload and try to do what I call caseload management or cleaning out your caseload. What that entails might look like going through the caseload, looking through the actual names of the people that you're seeing, looking through the files and seeing, hey, how many times have I actually seen this person within the last couple of months? Can they be discharged ethically? Do they meet medical necessity? Are they at a point in treatment where I can terminate them and have them transition out of treatment safely and securely? And are they at a point where maybe they haven't been showing up to treatment and they're just kind of sitting on my caseload and it's maybe a liability concern at this point and I do need to kind of let them go off of my caseload so that I'm not worried about them in the back of my mind. So Caseload management, I think, is definitely one way to set boundaries in this situation. So whether your caseload is really big or really small, really analyzing your caseload and looking at it for what it is and seeing, hey, how can I clean this up? How can I get clients through my caseload and ethically terminate or discharge people off of the caseload? I think the second thing that can definitely impact our burnout and boundaries when we're at work as therapists is definitely time management, right? So I can remember that my time at, let's say, at the shelter setting, right? Sometimes we were really busy and we had a lot of influx of clients coming in and we hardly had any time to take a break or do any administrative work, meaning any of the paperwork that had to do with seeing the actual client or even take a lunch break or a restroom break. And there were times where we had no clients coming into the shelter and we had a lot of downtime where we had some time to make sure we had therapy supplies and our rooms were clean and uh, go through some trainings that were really needed for our professional development. So no matter what your workload looks like, I think another way to set boundaries is through time management. So this is the second tip. The second tip to set boundaries through time management is really no matter where you're working, whether it's an hour by hour clinic or a shelter setting where you kind of can see clients whenever you do need to see them as needed. Or um, again, if you're working in a place like a multi-systems therapy situation with juvenile probation where you get to make your own schedule, really trying to use your time wisely and put boundaries around your time, right? So 
if there are things like administrative work that needs to be done, really calculating how much time do I need per client for administrative work. So my rule of thumb, for example, in an outpatient setting might be, and even in a private practice setting for sure, is at least 10 minutes of administrative time per client so that I can write their progress note right when I get done with session. And my other rule of thumb for sure is tackling the note before I move on to the next client. So that's my boundary with time management. I absolutely end session on time with my clients most of the time, unless there's a crisis situation or there's a special situation like we're using EMDR and there's a special modality like maybe PCIT or something like that. And we need to go a little bit extra time over time because there's medical necessity there. But keeping time and making sure, not watching the clock every second and making it a distraction, but ensuring that we're ending our sessions in a timely manner enough for us to do our notes. Or if we give ourselves an administrative hour during the day, like let's say after lunch from one o'clock to two o'clock, we have note-taking time and phone call making time, we're not scrolling TikTok, right? (laughs) We kind of keep that time sacred and we're not using it um, or misusing it for other things. And so really kind of having that um, discipline to have that boundary with ourselves, right? And kind of not going off the rail with ourselves and really using that time management as self-care and as boundary setting. Tip number three with boundary setting in any type of practice for a therapist is going to be saying no. And this can look different for a lot of different types of settings. And currently in my present setting as a solo private practitioner who is expanding into group practice is saying no to new potential clients that are going to come onto my caseload, right? So let me show you how this looks. If a potential client reaches out to me via phone or via email on Psychology Today or Latinx Therapy, they want to come in and get onto my caseload, right? But I have a caseload cap of about 20 per week, right? And that's considered full-time in private practice. And so I don't want to go beyond that number. Again, that has to do with time management. And the reason I don't want to do that is because that really drains my energy. I am niched in trauma therapy. So that also has a lot to do with setting boundaries for my energy, not only my time. And so that's the reason I don't want to go beyond a certain number. And so when I say no to a client, it's not because I don't want to see them or I don't like them or I don't have the expertise or something like that. Um, and it's not, it's definitely not because I don't need the income or something like that, because let's face it, therapists are underpaid and undervalued, but it's because I just don't want to burn out. And I know where that road leads to. So when I say no, I have some alternatives for them. When I have them, I can have them wait on a wait list. I can have them see my other practitioner that I hired in my little small group practice that I'm expanding now. I can have them go into the group therapy that we're also uh, doing 
now on a seasonal basis and they can go onto that list or I can refer them out to people into the community that I know and trust and that I've worked with before. And so I saying no to a potential client can be a little bit difficult or disappointing, especially if you tend to be like a people pleaser or you want to be a fix-it Felix, right, from Wreck-It Ralph. And you are the type of person who wants to really be out there and help everyone. But that, again, is empathy without boundaries leading to self-destruction. So sometimes saying no to potential clients, especially in private practice, is necessary for your survival, right? And, you know, you also saying no to Clients that maybe don't exactly fit your niche can also be a way for you to set a boundary, right? So let me talk to you about what I mean. For example, if a client comes to me who is a couple, I don't touch couples with a 39 and a half foot pole. I've said that before on my social media pages. I am not qualified to do that. Um, I've been trained to do it in graduate school, but I'm not certified or qualified now to do that. And um, it's just not my area of expertise or personal or professional competence. So I absolutely have a boundary around that. And my niche and my area of expertise is trauma therapy, anxiety, and depression. And so I will say yes to those clients, but only if I have room in my practice. So there are a lot of factors that have to do with saying yes, and there are a lot of factors that have to do with saying no at the same time. Also saying no to different projects, saying no to your coworkers, saying no to your bosses can also be something that might have to happen if you are in a group practice or in an agency setting, right? Or even in a hospital setting. If you're not working for yourself or you're not the boss, right? Having to have that conversation and saying things that might seem a little bit intimidating because there's a natural power dynamic there, right? You're not the boss. You are not the supervisor maybe in the situation. You're not at a leadership level. And so it might appear to be insubordinate to say no to something that you're being asked to do. And so if you don't feel safe emotionally or financially enough to say no to extra projects or extra work or an extra client here and there on your caseload, then I can totally understand how that can start to infringe upon your boundaries. But also think about if you do start to say yes to extra work and that starts to creep onto your workload, where is that going to lead down the road, right? Where is that going to take you in a few weeks, in a few months? It's going to start to lead to a place of resentment. It's going to start to lead to a place of compassion fatigue and potential burnout. And we definitely don't want to get to a place where you are not able to function because then that leads to an ethical issue, right? Where if you are impaired, you should not be practicing. And in the ACA code of ethics, it doesn't specify what impaired is. It doesn't say impaired by alcohol. It doesn't say impaired by illness. It doesn't say impaired by burnout. So if we are getting to the point where we are just not useful to our clients or we're just not 
able to show up the way we are supposed to be showing up for our clients, what kind of good are we, right, if we're continuing to say yes to extra work? So that's the end of tip number three, saying no when we need to say no. And actually, let me go through a list of ways to say no real quick. So this is a list that I've shared with my clients before, and I've got it off of Pinterest. Number one is, no thank you, I have another commitment. Number two is, unfortunately, it's not a good time. Number three is, apologies, but I can't make it. Number four, sounds great, but I can't commit. Number five, I wish I could make it work. Number six, I'd love to, but can't. Number seven, perhaps next season when things clear up. Number eight, thanks for thinking of me, but I can't. Number nine, no thank you, but it sounds lovely. Number 10, it's not a good idea for me. Number 11, I really appreciate you asking me, but I can't do it. Number 12, I can't take on any more responsibilities. Number 13, that doesn't work for me. Number 14, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Number 15, my body says yes, but my heart says no. (laughs) So these are ways that you can say no at work. And if you kind of hear what the common theme is, with all of these ways to say no is that they're assertive and they are not passive and they are not aggressive. They are just simply ways to communicate to the other person that you have a boundary set in place, especially at work. You don't want to, you know, fly off the handle and be aggressive and you don't want to be too passive and just start taking on work when you're really not in a place to be doing so. The fourth tip for therapists to set boundaries is analyzing your activities outside of work. What are you doing after work? I actually had a discussion with one of my LPC associates about this a couple of uh, maybe months ago or a few months ago, actually. This was a while back. She's now upgraded to a full LPC. Shout out to Yvonne. Hey, how are you? I hope you're doing well. Um, she's such a rock star. But something that we talked about was, you know, consuming things outside of sessions and outside of therapy that had to do with therapy, like reading books about therapy, podcasts that had to do with therapy, uh, Netflix shows that had to do with mental illness, crime shows, things like that, that really were mentally stimulating, but she never really got a break from therapy if you really thought about it. So think about ways that you can set boundaries at home Whether you work at an agency, whether you work at a hospital, whether you work in private practice, this applies to all therapists, all social workers, all counselors. What types of media and luxury and downtime, pastime um, content are you consuming outside of work? Is it more work at home? Really think about this. I know that there's a trend now to listen to like crime shows and podcasts and things like that. But is that really downtime? Consider the things that you hear at work, right? Even listening to this podcast, I understand that my audience, part of my audience, at least half of you are therapists. And 
this is educational for you, right? And I'm hoping that it's part of your self-care to take heed to my advice on this podcast, right? But, you know, I think that listening to more traumatic material, such as a crime show or watching movies that have to do with real life stories of like sad or really devastating things might not be the best way to be spending your emotional battery considering the work that we already do, right? So kind of just think about what are the things that you're already consuming in inside of work and then are you spending more time doing that outside of work? And maybe set some boundaries there as well. And again, leaving work at work, right? So that's part of tip number four. Leaving work at work, disconnecting from work. Don't check your work emails. You know who I'm talking to. You know who I'm talking to. If this resonates with you and you like, even right now, as you're listening to me talk, are checking your work email, are you on the clock? Especially if you're a paid hourly therapist and you're not salaried, put the work email away. What? in the world. (laughs) You are not getting paid for that right now. So please disconnect from work if at all possible, whenever you can. I understand that, yes, sometimes clients have crises. Sometimes clients uh, need to contact you. And there are things like legal proceedings that we might need to attend to or certain situations that are a lot more urgent. But that's why it's very important to have boundaries around those sort of things, right? Like in the informed consent or having office hours available for your clients to be able to read and understand or on your website, hey, this is how you can contact your therapist outside of office hours if X, Y, or Z is happening to you. So that way you know And they know, and even your coworkers know, there is a precedent for how to contact you, when to contact you, etc. And the fifth and final tip for therapists setting boundaries is stuff that we learned in grad school, right? There are boundaries with clients, and this kind of comes from the last tip, right? If there are clients who need to contact you because of a crisis or things like that, I understand that they might need to reach you via email or if you have an office phone um, or you have a text line or things like that, especially in private practice, there might be blurred lines as far as how and when and how frequently you're able to contact and reach a client, right? However, being able to at the start of your practice or in your policies and procedures, whether you're at an agency or wherever you're working, being able to understand how your boundaries with your clients are going to work, I think is going to be a really, really important part of your longevity in this career. So for example, in a private practice setting, you might have your phone with you at all times because let's face it, smartphones do a lot. An iPhone or an Android can do a lot. You're able to check email. You're able to get onto your um, Google Voice or however you're able to contact your clients via phone or via text or you're even able to get onto your electronic health record system and go into your private messaging uh, feature on there. 
And so how often are you going to be able to check that? And maybe setting a boundary or a schedule for yourself so that you're not constantly checking it, right? You're not checking it every 24 seconds. Maybe you check it once a day at 4 p.m. You'll check your email or you'll check it every morning when you get to your office, or you will um, return phone calls at the end of the day at 4.30 p.m. or something like that. Also understanding your schedule, right? Everybody's schedules might be different. I know that in the shelter setting, shelters run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, no matter what the holiday is. And so what does your schedule and client contact look like in those types of settings, right? So being clear on what your client contact's gonna look like as far as modes of communication, as far as scheduling, and when you're going to see your clients for session, and when you're going to call back clients or email them. And then also, whenever there's a crisis, what is the protocol for that? Do you have something in your policies and procedures, either at your agency or within your private practice, that's going to be sustainable and that's going to work for you or work for your group practice? Does everybody know what that protocol is from the receptionist all the way to the practitioner so that nobody is lost whenever something of this nature does go down? So that way everybody is clear on the protocol and somebody is not getting called when they're on vacation at Disneyland, you know, and they're away from a phone because they're on the Dumbo ride, right? So (laughs) I think it's very important for all of these lines of communication to be very clear and concise and easy to understand and written down somewhere, even if you are in solo private practice. So that way everybody is clear and you are clear on your own personal boundaries for client contact. I know that we were also taught about like geographic boundaries. We were also taught about bodily boundaries with clients. You know, I know that sometimes it's probably not the best idea to give clients your personal phone number, your address to your home, things of that nature. These are safety issues, right? These are boundary crossing issues that probably are going to interfere with your quality of life and personal safety. And then also things that can interfere, boundaries that can interfere with the therapeutic relationship, like too much self-disclosure, right? How much do you want clients to know about you? Why is it important for them to know that you have a family and pets and your cousin's names and the day that you got married or things like that, right? Like how much do you want to share and why? Is it clinically appropriate? Can you justify it clinically? Is there a modality or some sort of research that backs up why you're doing what you're doing or saying what you're saying to your clients. So boundaries with clients not only go from time to types of contact to appointment times to correspondence, but also the way that we are talking in session, right? And also safety. So there are a lot of things to consider as far as tips for this last one. I know that it was a really wide tip and a large 
topic to cover for the last one, but hey, here we are. And I'm hoping that if you were a therapist listening to this podcast or this episode, that these tips were helpful for you and you consider setting some of these boundaries. If you have any more boundaries that you would add to this list, because I know that there are so many more and there are lots of you out there that are probably more experienced than I am or experienced in different ways than I am, reach out to me on Instagram. I love to hear your ideas. Please go to instagram.com slash clarity EP or at through the eyes of a therapist or reach out to me on TikTok at through the eyes of a therapist and you know, talk to me on there about boundaries. Um, you can also visit my practice website, www.clarityelpaso.com, and we'll talk more there as well. If you want to reach out to me for therapy or consultation or training or speaking engagements. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to season six of Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. It was such a pleasure talking to you today. I'll see you on the next one. Have a great one.